Good morning, everyone. It's kind of fun to sit in the front and to just look back as you guys are singing and, <clears throat> excuse me, and to just see your faces. Um, I don't know about you, but I usually come here pretty enthused, especially when I get a chance to speak. And uh, it's like, okay, Lord, we're ready to go. Let's get going. Um, I hope you're feeling that way, too. I uh, just want to welcome those who are watching us online, and for those who are downstairs, I lovely, uh, lovingly call them the Dungeon Dwellers. They actually let me come down uh, last weekend and participate a little bit in their breakfast. Um, I was a little cautious, you know, tried to have a little, you know what a cupbearer is, someone who tastes the food or the drink before you. <clears throat> you just never know. Uh, but anyways, it's good to... Uh, be here together. For those of you who are here for the first time, Mike mentioned a gift that we've got in the back for you. Let me just tell you, your tummy will be well pleased with that gift. So don't be thinking, oh yeah, this church is going to give me this packet and they're going to, you know, rein me in or whatever the case is. They're going to, they're going to feed you. So just, I'm just saying, just good warning. <clears throat> we are going through the book of Acts and we're going to be into chapter 13. So if you want to open your Bibles there. I want to remind you of um, where we've been since it's been two weeks since we've been in this portion. Uh, if you recall, <clears throat> back in Acts chapter 11, there were these two guys, Barnabas and Saul, and they were speakers at the church in Antioch. And they learned, the church learned, that there was going to be trouble in Jerusalem, a famine. And so they decided as believers that together they would collect some finances and they would send those finances to the believers in Jerusalem. And they chose Barnabas and Saul to take that money. There was no wiring then, right? There was no just like, oh, we'll just deposit it into your bank account. Someone had to physically move that money for them. And so these guys were chosen. <clears throat> and they go to Jerusalem. And in chapter 12, we saw that in Jerusalem there was some trouble going on besides famine. Herod the king had uh, taken James and had killed him, and he had gotten a hold of Peter, and he had thrown him in prison, and he was intending to do the same thing with Peter. Do you remember that story? So then Peter is miraculously released from, from prison. <clears throat> An angel comes al alongside, hits him on the side, hey, wake up, come on, we got to get out of here, and come with me, walks him out the gate. How amazing was that? Pretty amazing. So if you're with me in chapter 13, back up just one verse into chapter 12, because we didn't cover this when we uh, ended last time, and I want to catch this for you. It says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. All right, So that's kind of like the bookend. They were sent with this money. They go to Jerusalem. Uh, presumably the, the events of chapter 12 occur while they're there, so they probably saw some of that happening. They may have been involved in the home as they were praying together as a church for Peter's release, right? They could have been involved in all of that. Now everything is done, and they're going to head on out. And it says in this verse, the reason why I wanted to highlight it for you is because it says they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, Luke has this way of um, <clears throat> excuse me, introducing just little tiny things that seem to be insignificant as you read the story. They kind of almost hide in the bushes there. And sometimes we have to stop and we have to see those things in order to catch what God is wanting to say to us and where he's going with that. And this is one of those. 
He, they tell us that as they go back, they take this guy named John Mark. Now, some things about this guy, <clears throat> excuse me, um, if you recall, the scripture tells us in chapter 12 that the church that was gathered together to pray for Peter's release, were, they were living, or they were meeting rather, in a home of the mother of this guy right here, John Mark. It was his mom who owned that house, and that's where the church was gathered, and that's the, <clears throat> excuse me, i got to clear this out. That's where the church <clears throat> was meeting in prayer. Now, there's some things about that that we could possibly learn, or about this guy anyways. One, in regards to that house, the scripture says that this house belonged to his mom. It doesn't say that it was the home of his dad. <clears throat> so because of the times and how that would have normally been delineated, it's probable that this guy has lost his dad. We don't know exactly when. We don't even know for sure if that happened. But if it did, we don't even know when. We don't know if he was raised by a, a single mom. We don't know if that happened after he became an adult. We don't know exactly what's going on there. But he's faced some kind of adversity. But he's also been in a home where people are praying together and asking God for something. And all of a sudden, dunk, 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 on the door, right? Like, and there's Peter. And, whoa, this is incredible. So he's seen the hand of God at work, too. He's understood some things. And now somehow these guys have, have gotten a hold of him and said, hey, come with us. Well, the, the, the reality of this is he's actually a cousin to Barnabas. So there's some level of connection that's occurring there. Now, just so you know, if, you, if you're not familiar with the story of Acts or with the story of John Mark, I just want to give you a little preview. We'll get to all this as we go. <clears throat> but this is a guy who, by the end of today, as we look into chapter 13, we're going to find him with them and then leaving. He's not going to stay with them. We don't know exactly why. We just know he leaves. <clears throat> but later on, when Paul and Barnabas decide to go on another trip, they'll have a little bit of a difference in their opinions as to whether this guy should go with them. So something is going to happen that's going to cause Paul and Barnabas to, to think differently about him. What you might even call failure. But the cool thing about this guy is he is going to be engaged with Barnabas in further ministry later on in life. <clears throat> He's going to be engaged with a guy named Peter. He's going to be engaged still somewhat with Saul, who is going to then be called Paul. Three guys are going to invest in his life, disciple him. And he is going to be somebody that eventually Paul will say, hey, bring Mark with you because he's profitable to me. <clears throat> God has done a work in his own life. And now where he once left, now he's engaged. And this is a guy who you have in your Bible, the Gospel of Mark. He's the author of that book. So I say all of that to you <clears throat> to help you to realize that there is no one who's insignificant in God's eyes. And I'll tell you this just for those of you who are single parents. I realize that you can look at life raising your kids as uh, that's a steep hill to climb all by yourself. I want you to know that you're not alone. I want you to know that here's an example of someone raising a child. <clears throat> that child seems to go after the things of God for a while, seems to step away from the things of God, but seems to have a heart that ultimately God is able to catch and use him in a mighty way. 
Now, that doesn't mean that your child is going to author a book, right? Or your child is going to be, the name is going to be known for a long time. Every person has a choice to make, and your child has that choice too. But I tell you what, you can rest assured you have a God who's on your side and who will give you strength and, and wisdom and help you in that process. And if someone does go a bit wayward, you know what? You can remain on your knees still asking God to do a work in that person's heart and trusting that God, he will always be wooing. He's always drawn. He's always after us. He's never going to cross his arms and kind of look at that and go, now what do you want, right? But he's always for us. And if you are a single child, meaning that you only, or rather uh, you're, a, you're a child of a single parent, you don't have to believe that something is um, causing you to be disabled or disqualified. God can use you too. And John Mark is an example of that. And even in failure, it's not all hope is gone. God continued to pursue this gentleman. I would encourage you to do what he did and be connected to some people in your life who can disciple you, be a mentor for you. I lost my dad when I was 26 years of age, and God brought a handful of men into my life who all became, became a dad to me in one aspect or another. And I'll tell you what, I can't spend enough time thanking them for all of that. Some of them, I desired for them. Some of them, they just came after me. What a wonderful heart that is. So we're, we see God at work here right in the very beginning, um, pursuing somebody that he can use. And from our perspective, it might seem that that's not necessarily so. But from God's perspective, he can use anybody. So let's get going into this chapter 13 then and see him at work, shall we? I want you to see, first of all, here on this map... Uh, just to give you a little sense in your mind of where we're going and what we're doing, off the bottom right corner here, uh, Jerusalem would be down off that map, and that's where the gospel, that's where the church first started, right? And, and it began to move north, and all the way up now we're into this Antioch of Syria there. Hopefully you can see that from where you're at. And that's where this church has been. Now, if you remember, there, were, there was persecution as a result of Stephen, the, uh, the death of Stephen then, and so there's persecution that followed. Saul himself was the instigator there. He was part of all that, and people began to flee, and the scripture tells us that as they, as they went north there, um, they took the gospel with them. And there's some who went into this town and actually witnessed there, and believers were there, and so eventually Saul gets there, and Barnabas gets there, and, and, and the church is being established. And it's from that location that we are going to look at what is commonly described as Paul's first missionary journey. He's going to go to a location with a group of people in order to present the gospel. Up to this point in time, it's been Peter going to Caesarea. Hey, he sees a, the, the, the blanket come down, the sheet come down, here's all the food. You need to go. Oh, he goes talk to Cornelius. Remember all that, right? Like we have these things uh, happening where, where Gentiles even are hearing the gospel. But now this is kind of like the first concerted effort 16 years after the Lord says in Acts 1.8, I want you to go, right? I want you to go starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We're now seeing that happen. Now, just to remind you, this is on the, I was going to say this is on the scale of the flood, meaning the flood was worldwide, right? This is on that scale, this is the beginning of history that impacts you because the gospel has now made it to Winchester and you guys have come to know that. 
That's amazing. This, what God has promised, has been spreading around, around the world all of this time, and here we're seeing it happen right before our eyes as we read this, all right? We're going to notice uh, today as we go through this that we're going to go on to the island of Cyprus and, and hear about what's going on there, and then as they move north, then we'll, we'll end for our day. But then we'll pick it up next week, all right? So that's kind of give you a bird's eye view of what that's going to look like. <clears throat> so let's start in chapter 13 in verse 1. It says, now in the church... <clears throat> that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, I was told this last night, um, these guys, evidently, this is what I was told anyways, these five guys started a restaurant, a little burger joint where you could go to and get some fries, and I think they had, even had peanuts that you could just throw them on the floor, and they, for whatever reason, they couldn't come up with a better name, and so five guys, and I think that's where that all started, so I'm told. But they had a second career, and now that's what we're going to see. I have to tell Tom that he gave me that little idea. If you know Tom, you'll know why he told me that. The little, uh, his humor is a little, a little good there. A little, anyways. There are five guys that are meeting together, part of a church. Not the only ones, just part of it. If you read through some of the commentaries on this, a number of them will tell you that God is picking from the cream of the crop. They're surmising that because they're described as prophets or teachers. Somehow as if, if you're in one of those categories, you're the cream of the crop. I disagree with that, just so you know. I think that what's happening here is God is picking from a handful of individuals that he's gifted with because he wants to use those particular gifts. But I don't believe it puts them in the place of the cream of the crop. Because with God, he, there is no difference that God sees between one and another. He sees us all the same. I think all he's trying to do is tell us here, you know what? Here's these five guys. I can use any and all of them for my glory. It's not so much how good they are because God uses the foolish things of this world, right? God uses the weak things of this world. And so if you fit into that category, then you can rest assured God wants to use you. And here we see a variety of individuals being used by God. Now, I want you to notice a couple things. I want, you to tell, I want to tell you a little bit about each of these five individuals as part of that <clears throat> understanding so that God might somehow uh, help you to reveal, like, I can use you too. If you're willing, I can use you too. So the first guy is Barnabas. He's, he's on the list there. We, we've known him, right? He, remember, he's the one who sold property and then used that money, gave it to the church, to the elders, and said, hey, use this as any, any way you want. Remember, Ananias and Sapphira got into trouble because they were trying. This goes clear back to him. This is a guy that when Paul, saw at that time, uh, came to Jerusalem, nobody wanted to be around him. He got alongside him, introduced him. Hey, he's okay, right? Like, this is a guy who cares for people. This is a guy who went after Saul when Saul was in Tarsus, got him, brought him back to Antioch, wanted him to tie in together with uh, Barnabas, and they taught there for a year. So you're already seeing something about this, this uh, individual. Remember, his name is uh, Barnabas means son of encouragement, 
Well, that's exactly what he does. He went after Saul, and he uses him. Uh, he, he draws alongside someone who he believes God might want to use, and how can he invest in that life, realizing that eventually we will see it flip. Now it's Barnabas, and then they'll go through the list and all the way to Saul, and eventually we'll see Saul's name changed to Paul, and he will become first in the list and primary in that effort. So there's this movement that occurs, but no angst in Barnabas's heart. In fact, he will repeat himself again with this guy named John Mark. He will go after him, and he will redeem him in the sense of bringing him back to, here's how God can use you. What a wonderful heart this guy has. The next guy, Simeon, who is called Niger. Now, this word Niger in Latin means black. And so some scholars have done research on this, and they actually believe that this guy was of African descent. Which I find interesting just from our whole racial struggles that we go through as a society. And every society goes through those, just so you know. And so often because of skin color and descent and different culture and that kind of a thing, we kind of separate ourselves at times from each other. But here's five individuals. You're going to find a variety of people that God is wanting to use. And so he tells us something about these individuals. The next one... Lucius of Cyrene, he's local of Cyrene. That's in this, if I had the map back up there, you would see that that he's in this area. He's from this area. So he's a local guy. His name, for for another, I don't even understand why the scholars, again, think he might also have African descent. But what I find interesting is while Simeon's name, Niger, then means black, this guy's name, Lucius, means either light or white. Now, I'm not saying he was a white individual. I'm just saying that his name is being used here, this, this contrast between black and white. In other words, a variety. God's using different individuals. Then we have a guy named Manian. It says that he had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So we don't know exactly what that means in the sense of uh, what the context was, whether he was part of the family of Herod or whether he was just raised in the, in the palace environments. He probably was like a Moses being the, raised in that environment and the upscale, knowing what life is like in that arena. I've often talked about, um, I don't want to get into politics here necessarily, but just as an illustration, um, Uh, When President Trump was president, I was so thankful that Vice President Pence was part of his team because I understand that he's a believer. And I thought, wow, Lord, isn't it amazing that you have some of your kids in some of the higher levels of our government, right? Like functioning because there's a need for believers there too. This guy was in that kind of a thing. So you, you see the status, different people, different coming from different backgrounds, different locations. And then the last one we've got is this guy, Saul. And he tells us a little bit about himself in Philippians. He tells us that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was raised in a strict Jewish home. Like this guy had it all together as far as the Jewish nation was concerned. He was a rising star in their nation. And these are the ones that the Lord says, hey, I want one of these guys. I want two of these guys. You see this in verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So I want you to notice a couple things. One is that it says, as they ministered to the Lord. These individuals were not sitting around waiting for God to give them direction. They were active. They They were on the go. 
Not so much in the sense of like I'm going to a place, but they were serving the Lord where they were at. As they ministered to the Lord, it says there. They were in that context. I find that challenging because so often I have found in my own life, and maybe you can identify with this, it's, I, I'll be in this place of like, okay, Lord, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do? And it's as if I'm sitting there waiting instead of, no, being active. Lord, this is what you've uh, put out before me. I'm going to do that until you show me what's next. But until then, I'm active. I should be involved in that. But sometimes we're just sitting there just like waiting Okay, God, what would you have for me? You want me to? God, I'm asking. God, hello. If you just tell me. I remember, <laughs> I hope I don't discourage you with this. I remember a space of about, I'll say about eight years, roughly, of waiting on God to give direction. And people would ask, so what are you guys doing? Well, we're not sure. Eight years of that question. What are you guys doing? Well, we're not sure. <laughs> just waiting on the Lord. Thankfully, he had given us a ministry, and we were involved in all of that. But I'll tell you what, it's tough at times waiting on the Lord. But it is worth it to wait on him. It is probable that Saul had been a believer for probably about 12 to 14 years by this time, waiting on God. What was he doing during that time, Scripture tells us that he had gone to Tarsus. It also tells us that he was out in the Arabian Desert. He was being taught by God through a, a number of years there. He was also in Antioch teaching at least for a year there. He was part of this delegate to go down and, and give money to Jerusalem. In other words, he wasn't doing nothing but waiting on God for now the moment has arrived. Now we're going to find the chief apostle to the Gentiles Doing what God has prepared him to do. I wonder if there were times when he went like doing this, going, okay, God, what, what, what's this all about, right? I'm sure there were times, but there's an opportunity to trust God in those. So as they ministered to the Lord, it says the Holy Spirit said. So that's another thing that we have to remember, is that this is spirit-directed. Now, Romans 8.14 tells us this. It says that the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. So you and I as believers, that's how he actually wants to lead us. Just as he's leading these individuals, he wants to do the same for us. He wants to direct us. He wants for us to follow him and allow him to give us that direction. And he uses his spirit to do that. Now the spirit of God often uses the word of God so you can dig into it and read and you'll find the spirit of God nudging you. I, I talk the elbow and the ribs. There, right there. And he begins to, to lead us through the word of God. He uses the, the leadership of this church, the elders, as they seek his mind and they look to him for direction. And he begins to give them wisdom and, and, and unity together. And that impacts us too. He uses other believers in our own life. Hey, Tim, can I talk to you about this? I wonder if this is something that God might have for you. Really? I never thought about that before. He uses times of prayer as we engage with him and, and speak to him of the things that are on our hearts and wait to hear his spirit speaking to our hearts too. He uses circumstances of life at times. All in all, the bottom line is it's the spirit of God and he's the one who wants to lead us. But another important thing about this is that these individuals are all willing I don't know about you, but there's been times when I've asked God for wisdom to know what to do next. What's his will for me? It seems that he is revealing that. 
and I sit in judgment of it. Hmm. Ah. Has God really said? <laughs> right? Is this really what he wants me to? Lord, you sure about that? Do you remember there was another, um, the, uh, what's his, Ananias, when Saul was blind? Do you remember this? And the Lord came to him and said, hey, you're going to go heal this guy. You sure about that, Lord? Is this really wise? Is this really what you want me to do? And so I sit in judgment as if somehow I know better than God. But the reality is, is that, I, that when that happens, God is using that to reveal to my heart, you know, son, you say that you're willing, but when I put it on the table for you, you're not so willing, are you? Ooh, you're right, Lord, right? I wouldn't see that without that set of circumstances being used by God to reveal it, to boil it to the surface. He's not trying to be mean with me. He's trying to help me to be free, to, to yield to him. And I won't do that if in the subtlety of my heart, I sit in judgment over God and I decide, eh, I don't think that's the way that God really, and I come up with some excuse, some reason to get out of what I've been asking him for. It's kind of like the people who were in the home of John Mark there, his mom, and they're knocking on the door. And is this really God? How could God answer a prayer like that, right? It's right in front of them. He's actually responded to what they've been praying about, and they don't even see it. We can oftentimes be like that. These individuals were willing. And so it says that in verse 3, they, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. The idea of laying hands on is more of an identification. It's the church together as a whole, the entirety of the church, saying we're in this. We, we see this. We, we understand what the Lord is doing here. We, we hear his voice, and we agree, guys, you too are being asked to go, and we're with you. And we put our hands on that. Our elders have been trusting the Lord for direction. And one of the things that they believe from God is that we ought to be planting churches. And so we've done that, right? We have a Hispanic church here in town. We have a, uh, another church down in Woodstock that are, that are church plants, come from this church. But maybe that's not the end for us. Maybe God has others that he would want for us to plant. Can we ask him for that? Can we trust him for that? And we together then, as a, as a family, as a, as a whole body, if that's where the elders go, as they see the Lord directing us in that, you know what? That's going to cost us. That's going to cost us in resources of, of the finances. That's going to cost us in some individuals that some might say, hey, they're the cream of the crop. That we're saying, hey, this might be a good ministry for you. Maybe it's not so much cream of the crop. Maybe it's just ordinary people who are willing to trust an extraordinary God and be used by him. If we're going to go that way, that means people are going to have to be discipled. That means that people are going to have to be uh, growing in their abilities to teach, whether that's in the BTC environment or whether that's up here. There's going to have to be some maturing process. And guess what? It's going to cost you because there's going to be times when someone's going to be up here teaching and you're going to go, what in the world are they talking about? And you just became the, the, um, the part to play in that where, where they can look out at some of these people and go, oh my word, this is scary. And looking at some of you, I understand why. But they'll get over that, right? So it's going to, th this, this might be pertinent for us too. That God might be working in our hearts as a, as a group, as a family that we might be putting hands on somebody someday too. Let's trust him for that. All right, let's keep going here with this. It says then, 
So, being sent out by the Spirit, it's, we're reminded it's the Spirit of God who's doing this, right? That's what we want. God, we don't want to go anywhere that you don't want us to go. We don't want to do anything that your Spirit doesn't direct us in. We want to be led by him because we're your children. Being sent out by the Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. That, that means from Antioch, they went down to the coast. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. <clears throat> and when they had arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John... As their assistant. So again, Luke has given us some of the details of this, where they went. You're, if you remember, uh, Barnabas is from this island of Cyprus. This is his home area. So, so we're starting out in a little bit of comfort zone. We're starting out, now spirit-led, it's not like Barnabas going, okay, I'm scared to death, this is what we're going to do. No, this is spirit-led, we're headed for there, and, and he's just walking them into this, this first step. You're going home, Barnabas, and, and we're going to talk there with some people. They go into the synagogue of the Jews. Being Jews, this was an open door for them. An opportunity to step right in and begin to fellowship together with fellow countrymen in the worship of Adonai. Right? That's what their understanding was. But now we're going to introduce Jesus to you as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And they have this opportunity. You're going to see this same kind of method of operation that Paul is going to, in the team that's with him, that they're going to use again and again and again. Going to the Jews and then also then spreading that out to the Gentiles. It says they preach the word of God in the synagogue, synagogues of the Jews. You'll notice that that's plural. In other words, there were multiple ones there, so they were busy. It wasn't just like we showed up and we're just going to teach this. And Hey, what do you guys think of all that? They were going from synagogue to synagogue, sharing the gospel. Now, I'm not wanting to shake the bony finger here at you when I say this, so please hear, hear me right. Just as they had a golden opportunity by going into the synagogue, you and I also have golden opportunities. One of them could be as simple as Easter. And I don't know about you, but I have a hard time um, stepping forward and witnessing. Maybe you struggle with that too. But Easter is a golden opportunity, right? It is a place where you can say, hey, my family celebrates Easter this way. How does your family? What? You don't celebrate it? Do you even know what Easter is all about? And the door opens up, right? We have opportunities there. We can talk to you. This place was packed last weekend because there, there are some people who only come to church on Easter or Christmas. Opportunities. You know what? We're not so far. Thank you, Mike, wherever you're at, for, for talking about this. <clears throat> We're not so far removed from Easter that we still don't get some of the byproducts of that golden opportunity. Hey, what did you guys do last weekend? We did this. And there the doors open for us. There's all kinds of opportunities, in other words, for us to, to step into that God wants to give to us, but there needs to be a willingness and a boldness to do that. These individuals were such. Notice it also says that they had John as their assistant. So this guy goes along with them, and, and in going along with them, he uh, was helping them in some form or fashion. He probably wasn't doing this. Hey, I'm going to share here. Now I'm going to speak. Like He probably wasn't doing that, but they were discipling him and bringing him along. It reminded me when I read of this, it reminded me when I was in Canada, uh, I was part of a four-man uh, team, a teaching team at our church. We started going through the scriptures, and we had this young man eventually come to us, and he said, hey, you guys get together as a team to kind of decide what you're going to be teaching, and you discuss all of that, and I would like to, I would like to sit in on that. I'd like to participate in that. Can I do that? 
Well, sure you can. But what we said is, okay, what you're going to need to do is you're going to have to give the little review every time we go to teach. You need to tell everybody, remind them, what did we talk about last time? It'll only take you five minutes. You just get up there, oh, boy. Right? One of the things that people fear the most is standing up in front of others and delivering some kind of message. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, if you want to meet with us, that's what you got to do. Okay. And at first, it was a little stilted, you know, a little... Uh, but eventually, that began to flow. The second year, we said, here's the deal now. You're going to teach. Oh, it won't be often, but every once in a while, we want you to get ready because you're going to teach a portion of, of what we're doing here. That man eventually, as he grew and was discipled, he eventually became a teacher for that entire fellowship and eventually became an elder in that church too. All because somewhere along the line there was a little bit of interest and somebody started to allow him to assist, just like this John Mark. I'll tell you what, I believe that there are already our teachers in this assembly. I believe that there's already leaders enough for all that we need. All we have to do is trust God to reveal them to your heart and to our hearts and get together and believe him for some discipleship to occur. And he will teach and develop and mature and we will see the next generation of leaders and teachers within our fellowship. He's already, he's already doing that work among us. We just want to participate. We just want to be involved in it. And John, Mark, was willing to do that too. All right, so just real quickly again to remind you. So what we've done is we've moved from Antioch down here to this island called Cyprus, right? And there's about 100 miles between Salamis and Paphos there. So they're, they're working that whole area, and then they're going to eventually then head on north then, okay? So it says in verse 6, now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer. So on that, on that west coast side of the island then, you know the west coasters, right? Like, of course, no surprise here. Sorry if you're from California, I just had to do that. They found a certain sorcerer. Uh-oh, we got trouble. A false prophet, a Jew. So he's being identified. Now remember, this is the beginning. The gospel is beginning to spread now around the world. Here we go. And what happens in the first opposition, the first persecution that they face, it's from one of their own countrymen. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that ironic? But it goes on to tell us, well, it says a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. So he's, this Bar-Jesus is connected to the proconsul who's a Roman who is an enemy of the Jews, Sergius Paulus. He's an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. He understood something enough to say, hey, would you guys come talk to me about this? I want to know about this. So isn't this interesting who you would think would be uh, most open to their message, a fellow Jew, is not, and who you would think would be most resistive to it is not, and I find that so often the case, don't you? Let me tell you, if you're, if you're going to be a witness for God today, you can expect this kind of thing to happen. You can expect to be thinking, oh, so-and-so would be really open to the gospel, I need to go talk to them, but so-and-so, oh, no way, they'll never listen. And then you find God steering you in that direction, and all of a sudden you find a heart that's open to that. And so it says, <clears throat> the man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, that's another name, that Elimus the sorcerer, for so uh, his name is translated, this is the same Bar-Jesus, withstood them, 
seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So we have an individual who's open, who wants to hear, come tell me, and an individual's like, no, 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 you don't need them. Like, oh, no, 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 you can talk to me, right? He's defending his turf. So it tells us then in verse 9, then Saul, who's also called Paul, and there's just that subtle flip where now Luke is telling us that we're moving into more and more of a Gentile ministry by the change of his name to Paul. And we're going to see this guy, now Paul, being the primary individual that God's using to push this forward, this effort of reaching the world. So Saul, who's also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looking intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Some interesting play on words here. Paul, being directed by the Spirit of God, says, hey, I'm going to call you out. And this is what he says. He says, you're full of deceit and fraud. See, it says he was a sorcerer, but he was a false prophet. He wasn't God's prophet, so he was speaking untruth. He was trying to portray himself as the wise man. Come to me for information. Somehow that would give him authority. Somehow that would give him power. Somehow he could gain from that. Paul says, no, 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 no. You're a fraud. You're a deceiver is what you are. Then he goes on, he says, you're the son of the devil. That's pretty strong, don't you think? Well, I don't know if you know this, but Bar something, like Bar Jesus was his name, that means son of Jesus. Now, he wasn't son of Jesus the Christ. There were other individuals who were called Jesus, but his name then is son of Jesus or son of Joshua. And here Paul saying, no, 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 let's call it what it is. You're a son of the devil. In other words, you're functioning like your father, the devil. The Lord himself has said that before, right? You're doing something that's contrary to God. You enemy of all righteousness. Why was he an enemy of that? Because he was trying to hold back the gospel from coming to this Sergius Paulus. One whose heart had already been prepared by God to receive, to hear, to be led into a knowledge of Christ. And he's resisting. No wonder Paul stands forward and says, we'll have none of this stuff. He says, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? You're trying to to make it crooked. No, it's straight. There is one path to heaven, and it is through Jesus Christ and what he's done on Calvary's cross in paying for our sin. And that's it. There is no other way. That's it. You'll notice what it says then. He says, and now the hand of the Lord is upon you. Uh Uh-oh. This is not a good thing. We've seen this statement come up before. We've seen the hand of the Lord on the church there in Antioch, and we've seen multitudes grow in regards to that. Now we see the hand of the Lord, and this is not so good for him. He says, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. What a gracious, gracious thing for God to do. Are you catching that little phrase, for a time, means you're not going to be blind forever. It's just going to be for an amount of time. As you're reading this and thinking through this, does, it, does anything come to mind that's similar to this in your, in your thinking? Do you have a memory at all of a guy who was called Saul going to Damascus and seeing a bright light? And what happened to him? He was blinded for a time, right? It was only three days. 
Now, he didn't necessarily know that during those three days, but that's all it was going to be, just for a time. God was gracious to him, just like God is gracious now to this bar Jesus. He's going to get his attention. It says, immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Do you remember the difference between this event and Saul's? What was Saul doing for those three days? When Ananias was told, hey, you need to go, you need to go to this guy named Saul. This is where he's at, and I want you to heal him. Guess what the Lord told him? He's been praying. Saul was, do you remember when he heard, who are you, Lord? I am the, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Ooh, <laughs> ooh. That kind of caught him. Now he's praying. Now he's asking God, what do you have for me? He didn't even eat during all of that time. What a perspective difference between the two individuals. We don't know much beyond this as far as Bar-Jesus is concerned, but that phraseology seems to imply that he wasn't necessarily turning to God. He was more concerned with me. Oh, my word, I can't see. Someone help me. Please, please, someone help me. I understand that. But there's someone who can heal him, and that's God. And he should have been turning to God for that. He should have right in that very moment said, oh, my word, I don't understand what I've been doing. Thank you for letting me see that. I have been resisting God. That is appalling. Please pray for me in this. But he didn't do that. He didn't humble himself as Saul humbled himself. What a difference. Same kind of situation, but two individuals handling that differently. Just like you and I can handle it differently too, right? Trusting God to do a work in our lives of humility. I'm over time here, so we've got to move. Verse 12, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So that was used, that miracle was used to get this Bar-Jesus out of the way. And for, in that happening, that, that Sergius Paulus sees it. Wow, this is incredible. But then it says, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And that terminology is such that that impacted him more than the event impacted him. He was hearing these things that he wanted for them to tell him, and he's astonished. It means almost like blown away, like almost out of his mind. I can't believe this. Are you telling me that I can be saved and have an eternity with God, even though I'm a sinner? Because he what? Paid for me? And all I have to do is put my trust in him and his sacrifice for my sin? You are crazy. This is mind-blowing. He was astonished. First believer on their journey is an enemy. And he's the one that's named first in all of this. Now when Paul and his party set sail for Paphos, they came to Perga in, the, in Pamphylia, and John departed from them, returning to Jerusalem. And there we have just another little Lukeism of, I'm just telling you a little piece of information, almost as if it's nothing, and we're moving on. We're going to come back to this later. Because this guy is going to depart, as I've said before. We're not told why. We don't understand all of that. All we know is that when Paul and Barnabas decide to do this trip again, one of them says, hey, let's take John Mark. And one of them says, I don't think that's a good idea. Remember he left last time? He wasn't committed to us. We don't know why. We don't know what God was doing in his life. All we know is that God used it in his life. So what we have seen then is we have seen... A variety of people willing to be used by God. Some who make decisions that 
mean they go backwards for a while. Some who take uh, uh, steps forward and are used by the Lord. All of them facing difficulties. John, Mark, he faced some of the same difficulties that Paul and Barnabas were facing. This was a, where, where they've landed now on the coast. Tomorrow or uh, next weekend, they, <clears throat> they're going to have to climb up the mountain, up through some steep, uh, excuse me, passes to get up there to, to where they're going to teach next. It's going to be difficult for them. John Mark says, I'm done, I'm, I'm done, I'm out of here. Either way, God is in the business of redeeming people. And I'm not just talking about for salvation. I'm also talking about for sanctification. Drawing us back to himself. As we seek to serve him, we're going to run into some difficulties too. That's just a given. How we view those difficulties, whether we see that those are from the hand of God, or whether we think this is something that is, is out of his control, even though we would never say that, but our actions will say that, right? How we view these things will determine how we're going to respond then to the Spirit of God. May we trust him to use us in such a way that the gospel continues to be spread around the world. Let's pray together. Father, we're over time here. Thank you so much for just opening your word for us and letting us see some of the history. For a person like me who likes history, it's fun to go through that. But how amazing is it to kind of dig down a little bit into the persons that you're uh, telling us about and seeing how you're using them. Father, uh, would you use that to encourage our hearts to be people who are willing to be used by you too? We're no different than Lucas or Mannion or Saul or Barnabas or any of these guys. Simeon, no different than them. But you're an amazing God, and you can use people like us. So we are just humbly asking that you would do that, that you would privilege us to be partners together with what you're doing in Winchester, what you're doing in Virginia, what you're doing around the world, and that we would be instruments in the hand of an almighty God, and uh, you get glory as a result of that. We thank you for that, Father, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.